Welcome to the Deposit That Podcast. I'm sitting here with a friend, Sue from Compass. Welcome to the show. Don't be nervous, and it's time to get the show on the road. Are you ready? Excellent. Absolutely. Thank you for having me here. So when you go on listing appointments, do you get nervous? You know, at... No, I'm more nervous sitting here right now. Why? You know, that's a great question because I think when I'm walking into a listing appointment, I'm walking in with a certain level of confidence. You know, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for a long time and I feel comfortable in when I'm in front of somebody. I want to know how I can best help them. So I'm asking the questions. So now it's now I'm, role. You're right. so now I'm in the hot seat. This is I'm on a listing feeling. appointment. You're, you're a seller. <laughs> yeah. So when you first got into real estate, what do you think your mentality was to develop that confidence? Because obviously you're going into a career that you don't know anything about. So what was some of your you know, strategy to really become an expert? So I think I brought with me a certain level of experience having been a homeowner. So my husband and I lived in the city. We moved through two apartments. Each of them, we renovated, made some modifications, then went out to Connecticut, found a home that, of course, was completely run down. I saw a vision for it. And that's where I think the spark really happened is that I would walk into spaces and I would have an idea of what it could be. I would see its full potential. That may even be connected to when I was a New York City high school teacher. Really? Yeah, because I would see these kids and I'm like, oh my gosh, these are amazing young people. So you were a with, teacher before. I was right around, the cor- right around the corner from wow. here, actually. Yeah. Wow. So that's, you know, part of my background. So, you know, getting up and, and talking in front of people has never been something that would make me nervous. But I've always been on that. You don't think I make you nervous, do you? Well, you know, I mean, I've got these headphones on. I've got a camera on me. I've got a microphone in front of me. It's intimidating. All right. I get it. I get it. It's intimidating. Yeah, your comfort um, zone. Yeah. And yeah, it's pushing me outside my comfort zone, which is something that I think everybody needs to do in life. Step a little bit outside of what makes you comfortable. And I do that with real estate. Mm-hmm. I definitely step outside of comfort zones. Mm-hmm. I'm also very attracted to mm-hmm. representing properties that other agents want to pass on. They're like, oh no, that's unsellable. Um, I'd written a chapter in a book. Uh, that you have was, a book? No, it's a oh. chapter in a oh, book and so it cool. still hasn't been published yet. Right. So it's like, I shouldn't even really be talking <laughs> about it. One day. But what I loved about it was it really made me think about how I see things mm-hmm. in a way that not everybody really does. Like I said, I see the potential. So when my students walked in the classroom, I was seeing their potential. I wasn't seeing their bad behavior. I wasn't seeing their poor manners. I wasn't seeing their foul language. I was, I was seeing what they could become. So would you say that's because you're an optimistic person or you're blind to stuff that really shouldn't matter? I don't know if I'm blind to anything yeah. because I also think that I, I see things from multiple perspectives, but I am an optimistic person without a doubt. And I'm not just a half full, I'm an overflowing. And I, I want to always be putting my energy and and my strengths into the positive. One, one uh, expensive lesson I learned early on in life is I always hired people based on potential rather than results, right? Because I always saw something so much more in someone than what they actually were accomplishing. And I'm like, well, if I could take them in, I could mentor them or motivate them. And then I would either do such a good job that they would try and overthrow me because like they did it for the wrong reasons. Or I'm like, you're like a wasted talent, right? And there's a movie called The Bronx Tale. And they say like, the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. Mm. So I grew up watching that, like kind of living off that motto, if you will. But most people don't live up to their talent. So how have you been able to maneuver, if you will, with people that you see so much potential in and they don't see it in themselves. Well, okay. So that's, I want to always connect everything back to real estate because I live it, I breathe it. And it's easier when you're working with the potential of a property Mm -hmm. because it's something that can be physically created. It doesn't talk back to you. It's not. (laughs) But coming from high school uh, (laughs) education. Yeah. Well, I think everything that I've done, I've always said this, everything that 
wherever you are in life is to bring you where you go next, right? So there's no bad place. Wherever you are, it's exactly where you're supposed to be. And so wherever I was, there was always something to learn, something to grow, something to apply to my next place in life. So I really do think that teaching and working with New York City's youth in a very strange way prepared me even more so for the life that I'm living now. And not just as a mother of teenagers, because I'm completely failing at that. <laughs> failing. It's your first go around. First time. That's what I tell my older yeah. son. Yeah. Like, you're my practice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so taking everything that I've learned from each of my past lives brings me to where I am now and seeing the potential either in a person. I mean, we always wish the best for everybody around us, especially those that we love. And so we want to draw out from them their their strengths and and help them see it even when they're not seeing it. How do you make somebody realize that though? Truthfully. Uh, maybe holding up the mirror. Serious. You know, and not literally, but figuratively. Do you, you think know? it's the delivery on how you express it to them? Or is it like more so showing them and telling them? How do you, what's your strategy on that? No, I think showing rather than telling is, is everything. I think an insincere compliment is far more damaging. I think sincerity is where truth lies. And that's the most valuable, especially for young people, I think. So you think education, your background in education has made you successful in real estate directly? I could make links. I mean, if we want to get philosophical, yeah, well, yeah. I, I can, I can make some links there. And I think that most the way realtors that, start in another career and then evolve into a realtor, which no one ever goes to school for to become a realtor, right? Or like right. grows up I mean, I could take us on to a whole other tangent here I and, want to hear it. Let's go. and tell you well, that, you know, I got into it. real estate to save my marriage. Serious. Really? <laughs> I mean, in, in I want to hear it. Let's go. What do you got? Okay, I mean, that, that's a, Let's go. Your husband said that you could say what I spoke to him earlier. Oh, you got his, you got his okay and everything. He will. I kind of want to come back to that, but because I, I wanted to answer your question about, you know, the honesty that you have when you want somebody to see their own full potential. I do that with houses and my clients as well. And whether they're a buyer or a seller, I'm walking in and I'm sharing with them exactly how I'm seeing it. So when I'm working with a seller, I remind them that I'm walking through houses every day with buyers. So I'm looking through their home through those eyes. And it's a lens that they don't have the advantage of seeing through because they're living in it. It's just no like, experience. right. And you know, when we walk through life and when, or even like looking at your child, that's why everybody's taking those pictures of the first day of school. And then they show the last day of school because you don't see that growth happening from moment to moment. But when you have the perspective of the beginning to the end, then you could see the difference. So when I'm walking through someone's home, I have that perspective. I have the ability to to see what the end user is going to want. And at the same time, I see what they fell in love with as well when they originally bought the home. Mm. And so we try to breathe new life back into that home so that the next buyer coming has that same experience. Are you spiritual? I think I am. I, I think I just felt that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Have you always been that way? Yeah. I've always described myself as uh, not aligned with any particular religion, but certainly very spiritual and a deep faith in that. So that's why real estate saved your marriage? Let's get into that. I'm more intrigued about that than anything else. Well, I think that, so, I mean, every marriage has its challenges. Every relationship has Every relationship, you're absolutely right, has different curves and turns and, and obstacles, and you have to make the decision to love the ugly stuff. And this, again, I guess goes back to what I was focusing on. So I was at a stage in in my life where I was just focusing on all the stuff that I I didn't like and what you focus on grows. So that's what I was focusing on, the negative, and then that's all you can see. And then this opportunity came along to buy a property down the street from where I live. In Connecticut. In Connecticut. 
And it was, I knew the market. I knew the street just from living there and always being very in tune with real estate. Um, at that point, I think we had lived in four separate homes in Connecticut. And even in a declining market, we did work to each of the homes, improved the homes, and were able to make a profit. So it was something that I enjoyed doing but never thought of as a career until this one uh, opportunity presented itself. And it, it was a, a foreclosure sale that happened literally on the sidewalk. My kids were... I've got to do the math. What here. year is this? 2008? Uh, yeah, I'm not good with remembering the years, but if I remember the chronology, because my kids. <laughs> <laughs> what my son in? Right, right? <laughs> exactly. So they're 15 and 17 now. That was 10 years ago. So yeah. they were oh, five. And, they were, yeah, they were. Yep, there you go. So here you are in really you know, the, the depths of where sure. our, our market was. Bottom of the market. Yep. Connecticut got hit hard, too. Yeah, Connecticut did get hit hard, and certain towns worse than others. But we had this opportunity to participate in this foreclosure, and we didn't know anything about it. But we brought the kids, set them up with Legos on the sidewalk, and we were standing there, and there was a, a couple of investors, there was an agent with a client, and then just some random curious folks. And the bidding started, and I don't know, that just got me excited. I love the idea like of an rush. auction. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a rush. You're like, raise it. You say your number. Honey, you got the money. Right? <laughs> and like, we had our, our idea of where we were going to max out, sure. and we weren't going to go above a certain number. And um, and the increments were start. they started like $10,000 increments, and then they got Got smaller and smaller, and then people are dropping out. Now it's uh, my husband and I. I'd like to be the one that talks and raises the card. But he, um, we had our number that we were going to, and we're still well under that number. And the people that we were going back and forth with, the increments get smaller and smaller, and they finally just dropped out. And they came up to us afterwards and they said, you're going to be so happy in this home. We're investors. We realize that you've got your family here and you're, you know, you're going to move into this neighborhood and you probably would have bid, you know, another hundred thousand dollars higher. And we didn't want to drive the price up for you. And we're so happy that you'll be a part of this community. Just, you know, in New York City, that doesn't happen that way. Like when you lose a bid to somebody, you're going to meet them outside. That's, <laughs> That's Connecticut. You have a whole different conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I was, I, and I felt bad to tell them like, well, yeah. we're actually investors too. We just, Sorry. We just didn't know it yet. I just brought my kids to fool you. <laughs> right. so good we strategy brought, though. So we brought them Bring to your each. Kids to the auction. Yeah, so every auction they show up now. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm kind of kidding about that, but, no, um, you know, <laughs> I, I root for it. using my kids as pawns. Yeah. Again, remember you got to pay for college one way, right? It has to happen. That's, That's actually it. our strategy. And my husband just left his career after 28 years with the same company. Yeah, I don't, it's un- unheard of. Unheard of. And he's a loyal uh, guy, though. He is a, a loyal, loyal guy. guy. I mean, listen, he's sticking <laughs> around with me. So, um, and so having that experience, it created a multitude of positive journeys that we suddenly were forced to embark upon mm-hmm. that we had no idea what was going on. Were you working next. at the time, like teaching or anything? No, or no. no. I, I'd always done things, right? So I was working with this fitness coach and I was doing women empowerment workshops and teen empowerment workshops and using theater as a tool. Theater and the like Broadway and all that stuff? No, theater, or? like we're going to sit and like write a monologue oh. and, you know, and then okay. we'll speak it to each other. Or we'll do scene study or, you know, but using it as a, as just kind of a way to open a door to explore tough topics. And um, so we'd have a theme. Anyway, so I'd, I'd always been doing something like I'm not sitting around. Right. You're not, you're not bored. Just being, uh, and I'm not, oh gosh, I have Stay to be. home mom. I, it's not for me. Yeah. Like yeah. I have such tremendous respect. Like I grew up with a mother who cooked my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We never had a can, a box, or processed food in the house. Like she 
was the perfect homemaker. She truly, truly was. And, you know, if Martha Stewart was doing what she was doing. Yeah, times have changed. And that's not me. I'm not, I'm, I I could like creating a pretty space. Have you always known that? Or did you try and do it and say, I've confirmed this isn't for me? I think I thought I was supposed to do it. Outside pressure. Yeah. Like that's just the role that you fall into. Did your mother put pressure on you to do that? No. No? No. She's, she actually, you know, encouraged me to be very independent. And I am. I'm an incredibly independent person, which brings me back to, again, why I got into real estate, yeah. because I wanted to know that I could stand on my own two feet because of that whole marriage thing sure, didn't work out. Sure. I didn't want to be supported by my ex-husband, sure. if that's the path that yeah. we were going down. I wanted to know that I can stand on my I own. I respect that a lot. Yeah, and I wanted my children to not think of me as somebody who's taking advantage of their father's hard work to support my lifestyle that I got really comfortable with. So I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, Let's take this formula and apply it to something that can create a sustainable lifestyle. And I'm not a money-driven person. And I know that may sound crazy being in a sales industry. No, it's purpose. I'm purpose-driven. And I also see my industry as a service industry as opposed to a sales industry. Which everyone forgets. And that's why technology will never take over the industry. It can't. can't. It can't. And and Compass realizes that. My brokerage realizes that. I think they do a great job of having that hybrid between the two. They have all the resources from a tech company, but they still have the good quality people that are producing actual business. So like when you take someone that's already on steroids and give them double the steroids, if you will, technology being that double steroid, I mean, it's almost like a a foolproof platform. Well, I think it is a foolproof platform. Thank you for that tongue twister. And that's why I, you know, they approached me and said, would you like to be the founding agent for your region in Connecticut? And I was with a, a firm that I never thought I would ever leave. And any working realtor gets approached by the other firms. Everybody. They're always yep. trying to yep. recruit. And I sat down with everyone. I'm like, okay, tell me how I'm going to better serve my clients. What are you going to share with me from your point of view that I could bring to my clients and say, this is better? Now, do you think your mentality would be different if you didn't have a husband, you didn't have a husband that made a decent living to be able to support you and your career for going out in real estate and not operating on a level of desperation. Because I find that from doing this since I'm 20 and dealing with realtors in the Bronx in the, the worst desperate economy in the history of the United States, people always operated and still to this day operate on desperation and are transactional. So do you think that if you had to put food on the table, you wouldn't look at it as a service business and you would look at it as a transactional business? I think because of who I am, I would say, no, I would never be transactional and it would always be service-based because I've lived both ways. Grew up on food stamps and now I don't worry about eating. In fact, I don't know if I should even share this. Share. I just went, this is awful. I literally went this morning to a fitness club and they did this machine on me, and I am officially clinically obese. What? And forty-one percent of everything is that real? you see in front of me said obese? is pure blubber. It's forty-one percent of all of this is fat. You're serious? Yeah. But you no, never I'm know. Like clinically, I'm clinically obese. So you went back to the gym after this, or no? So you would think after I get this news <laughs> yeah. that I jump on yeah. a piece of the equipment that's there. <laughs> but after seeing like three or four people that I knew from my childhood, had to go. I ran. <laughs> Just like I am so out of here. I'll come back when I lose some weight. <laughs> but how do you feel? As a per- you feel 
Because I, right? I feel I feel relatively healthy, but I know that I'm heading in a direction that I, I can't sustain this. This is well, it's um, time. Time's not. Uh, it's time. And I thought I was doing all the things, the right things. Like I'm eating lots of fruits and vegetables and nuts. But apparently, cucumber and eggplant is a. It helps you retain water and bloats you. And I thought cucumber was like it's crunchy. And so I just did a 72 hour fast. I don't know if you saw my post. Okay. So literally at 1 a.m. Like you know, what is that? 12 hours ago. Not even yet. I ate for the first time in three days. Oh, that must have felt so No good. food, no water. All I had was black coffee for three days straight. They suppressed the hunger. Oh, that's sounds dangerous. It was, it, was, it was a little dangerous. And I was watching my son. He's running around. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to faint. Like, if I faint, what's going to happen? Like, he can't mm-hmm. take care of me and I can't take care of him. Yeah. But it reset you my took entire that risk. Yeah, I did. I took the challenge on. And it was funny because I like the first 69 hours were like, okay, we got this. As soon as like there were three hours left, my I heard the devil. The devil was like, "Go eat that food. Like, get into the refrigerator. Like, you made it sixty nine. No one's gonna know." And I'm like, "I just made it sixty nine hours. I can't, can't cheat myself." You can't. But they say that once you do that three hour, three day fast, your whole body, your organs, and everything resets, and your brain reprograms. So I don't know. If so then you could start new patterns of exactly. behavior. But see, I thought I was doing all the right things, mm-hmm. right? So the fats that I were eating were very healthy fats. They came from avocado, cashews, almonds. And then who thought that cucumber was going to be a problem? Right. Cucumber, eggplant, tomatoes. I think it's also based on your body type as well. Yeah, you know, I guess like we it's eat the same things and, or and my age, because it all started going downhill at 40. You look 40. great for 30. Oh, Aww. see, now, see, I will never tell somebody that I'm younger than I am. No? Because, no, because then they look at you and they're like, oh, <laughs> tough life, lived hard, you know? But if I said that I was 60, right, that you'd makes be like, sense. damn. You look good for 60. Nice. Like, I want to be like That's you. That's a good skill. Right? So I'll, um, no shame with my so age. So are most of your friends also in good shape or has... Well, I surround myself by beautiful young millennials that right. I have in this room with me. And to I mentor feel- or to like live through them? Oh, no. It's total vicarious pleasure. <laughs> 100%. Like who's still into your DM? <laughs> right. right. And whatever they could get that they yeah. find valuable, have at it. Interesting. But um, no, I love being around young, beautiful people. I love... It. You know what it really is? Like it's another perspective that... I'm too far removed from because of, quite frankly, how many years I've lived. Having that fresh eyes on something, mm-hmm. like I just like seeing things from multiple perspectives. This is another thing that I did when I was teaching. Like I started the on first day of school, I emptied out the whole classroom and the kids are coming in. They're like, uh, miss, miss, where should we sit? Where are we sitting? I'm like, I don't know. We're going to have to figure that out together. And so they all come in and we're all just kind of standing and huddling and milling around and nobody knows quite what to do or quite where to go. And again, back to like getting outside of your comfort zone. And so we together said, well, what does a learning environment look like? What should it look like? What should it feel like? Where did you learn that from? Because obviously your average person isn't going to be that creative. I feel like people... I have no idea. Have you always been that way? I've just, I've never, if somebody's doing it one way, I'm doing it another. And it's not... You get into trouble when you're younger? It, no, no, because I do it with a smile. Oh, <laughs> blonde hair, smile. You, I didn't have blonde hair. No, I definitely so didn't smile when I did that. it. Yeah. No, but I, I wasn't looking to make trouble. I just like, I don't know, it's the herd mentality. I guess when I was in college, that was reinforced as just not feeling like how I wanted Where'd to you go live. To school? I went to NYU. I did? Yeah, for my undergrad. And then I got for my education? master's. No, at that time it was for, it was my, I got my bachelor's in arts. Oh, wow. So these yeah. have a passion for arts. Yeah. I mean, I'm a creative, I come from a creative family. I, there's definitely a creative genetic thing. Hmm. 
going on. Mother and father are both creative? or So my father's an engineer. So he's a creative problem solver. I see that same kind of thinking in my son. My mother is very visually creative and also very intelligent. So it's like, I, I do feel blessed coming from people that have good are genes. A, a, nice ba- a nice balance, <laughs> yeah, right? Sure. So you said earlier, and I'm a big advocate of this. So I read one day somewhere that real estate is vision, right? Mm-hmm. And that's all it was. And it's kind of like, I like one-liners so I can kind of interpret it my own way, but sometimes I want more context, right? And then I'm thinking, I'm like, that's actually true. Real estate is vision. Like if you want to simplify into one sentence, how has that helped you succeed personally having that vision for real estate or turning that shack of a home into that, you know, duplex or turning that ranch into, you know, the beautiful backyard with the fire pit? How do you actually define that? Well, it's interesting that you use that word because I used to call myself Susan Vanica vision for real estate. That was my tag. I like that. Why'd Um, you change it? Well, because now I call myself Susan Vanica real estate strategist where I personally invest in real estate and help other people do the same. And the reason why I shifted it was because I realized how strategic I am in how I look at things. So again, I guess it's the balance. Doesn't strategy take vision and vision takes strategy? Yes, they're they're interconnected and they cannot be separated. And I think those with very strong visions. SV, strategic vision. Ooh, okay. I feel a new logo coming on. Noted. (laughs) I love your logo now. Deposit that. We'll get to that. <laughs> I think that's, I mean, look, I think that's, that's incredible because I remember that when I first started in the business, there were only short sales, right? So this is December, 2007 mm-hmm. into let's call it June of 2009. That's where I had my first 18 month run before I tried quitting and getting out. And I did, and I got pulled back in multiple times, but I only went out and marketed the FHA 203k loan program. Why? Because investors had no money, very few in the New York, New Jersey area. There was no inventory foreclosures and short sales were running crazy and every home needed work. And if a home was sitting there vacant, someone would come in, steal the pipes, steal the copper, steal the refrigerator. And you'd walk into like this rundown. You're like, oh, I don't even want, my skin's crawling walking into this. But I learned that the consumer didn't have the vision to make that home their dream home. And they needed a fix and flipper to create the vision for them. And all they wanted to do was pick out like the countertop or the appliances. Yeah, there's actually a medical term, and I'm going to learn it because I say this all the time, but there is a medical affliction or term that um, prevents the synapses in the brain to form a complete loop to imagine something. So if you've seen a piece of artwork on your table and then somebody takes it away, you can revision it because you've already seen it. So it's somewhere in your brain. But if I said to you on a blank table, envision this piece of artwork. For most people, they cannot. Is that like a disease? Just, it's not. A, well, if it were a disease, <laughs> everybody would feel like, <laughs> yeah. like it was. A, you know, we, we need a cure. The pharmaceutical companies would be making a killing. I think it's just the structure of our brains. And not everybody's got the ability where that. So you're not thinking outside the box, if you will. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, you can't t- pick it up and put it someplace else. Like it has to already somehow have an imprint in your brain in some place or spot for it to be put there. But you're absolutely right. Most of the buyers walking through cannot imagine what a blank canvas would look like. I actually don't work as well with blank canvases. I work better with 
with something inherent in the home that acts as a point of inspiration. Like closed floor plan, the open floor plan or something like that? Yeah, or? I can take walls down in my mind. Like yeah. I walk through everybody's house. I'm like, oh, that would look good if that were open. Or a yeah. mm, little privacy here. Let's build a half one. Or let's do some kind of you know screening here. Um, and you see that as you're walking through the house. I cannot help it. I walk through a house. I literally redesign so it's a houses blessing as and a I walk curse. through it. It's not a curse. It really is a blessing. I love it. It's like, it's just, it keeps my, my head going. And I do think that that is what has given me an edge in real estate because so much of the population just physically cannot imagine. And we took great advantage of the unfortunate downturn in the real estate economy because we were able to come into these homes that unfortunately many people lost as much as I, and I try to work with sellers as well that are pre foreclosure. I had some that were like, we're, we're just going to let it go. Well, there's emotion and it, it feels like failure, right? It feels like it is a failure. I, it is, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it's a loss. Anyway, it's what you want to do. It's a loss and it's definitely not something anyone should have to stomach. Yeah. And so I try to comfort it as much as possible by guiding and advising ways to maybe avoid a foreclosure and opt for a, a short sale. So, and positioning the home in a way that it can appeal to a wider audience. So that's audience. why I believe that women in general should run the real estate and mortgage world. And it blows my mind. I'm actually trying to get them to do that more so if they learn to get the but experience. But I think women do dominate the industry. In certain areas, right? But you still have that egotistical male, especially in the mortgage business, as you know, or probably know, and it's money, right? But the women have the empathetic side to mm -hmm. come in and like, you know what? It's not about what commission I'm making. Yeah, it's great, but I'm here to really provide a service to help you and your family's well-being, you know? Yeah, I don't know if it's a male-female thing. I no? mean, I say, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I like to blur the lines as much as possible. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I don't know if I think that it's, that women are necessarily more empathetic, but it does help approaching real estate holistically and knowing the whole story. And I'm sure you've had many people say and heard many people say, and maybe yourself, you know, we're so intimately drawn into people's lives that everything we are wearing so many hats yeah. and we are playing so many roles. And so being a really good listener, asking the right questions and then guiding towards the same, like we're all working towards the same goal. And people tend to forget that though in transactions. I think that is easy to happen, easy to forget. Well, there's the um, attorney or the other Well, the attorneys, or... I, I always say this. I'm like, listen, I got you this far. It goes to your attorney now in Connecticut. The attorneys do the closings. And, and they're I, strict. Yeah, well, there are rules that have to be followed. I get it. Same in, you know, in the mortgage world or things that yep. need to be done yep. that are unavoidable. But I recommend attorneys. And one of the best compliments I give attorneys is that they're not ego-driven. They're solutions-driven. And hmm. if you're solutions-driven, then ego kind of yeah, And it also comes out to dealing with the right attorneys, though. Right. right. Yeah. So I've, I've got three that I recommend, yeah, and yeah, none of them yeah. are ego-driven. Because I feel like that just puts everybody in jeopardy, really. Yeah, we had a uh, one of my friends who runs a law firm in New Jersey and New York. And she's like, you know, you're dealing with all these New York attorneys. Like, no, I'm closing Tuesday at two at my office. And she's like, no, well, the deal's closing in the Bronx on Wednesday at four. And he's like, well, then you're charging a $300 travel fee. And it's like, it turns into I'm like, nonsense. can you guys just all shut up? Like, I'll kill a deal right now. I'll, I'll take you both off the deal, you know, because people forget that there's a consumer at the end of the day that has kids, that has to move, that has to break a lease or get out of a lease or they have to take off work and they can't just say, you know what, I'm not working today. They have to like put in notice. And I feel like a lot of service providers forget those important factors. Yeah. And those are the human factors, which brings back right to what you said earlier, which is real estate will never lose the human factor. And you've got these tech-driven companies that are trying to eliminate the brokers mm -hmm. and it will never happen. It can't happen. And people, I mean, 
it will grow and there's a place for it. Sure. I think there's a, a niche yep. for that, but it's not for the people that we know and love. So Greenwich obviously has some expensive real estate where we had met at that one house. Talk to me about pricing in this type of market that we're in right now. How do you personally like to strategize pricing? And at what point do you have to have that come to terms agreement with a seller or potential buyer? Hey, buyer, if you want this, you have to come up or a seller. Hey, you have to come down. Yeah, it's easy for me. And one of the tools that Compass offers makes it easy to have those hard conversations. Mm -hmm. And they are hard conversations. Alcohol? Yeah, well, alcohol helps everything. <laughs> In fact, where's my drink? <laughs> That's what I'm missing. We haven't started drinking yet. We will. It's, too, it's a little early. It's a little Come early. Come off a cleanse. 24 hours. Right, right, right. Yeah, that could be a shocker to the body. <laughs> but having those hard conversations, again, like they're coming to a broker for a level of professionalism and what we know about the market. And what Compass offers is a tool to help. And listen, access to information is easier than it's ever been. And everything. Yep. Compass puts it in a nice package so that you have access to the information that applies to your market. We could talk about Greenwich. We could talk about Fairfield, two completely different markets. We're you know, 30 minutes away so from one another. you're hyper-focused on that. Well, there's micro markets. Right. So even in Greenwich, you've got the backcountry, which is where we were. Sure. Tougher sales right now, sales right now there. We're seeing reductions in ways that we've never seen before. Big reductions too, right? Major yeah. reductions. Life-changing Life reductions. Life-changing reductions. And then you've got the turnkey little cutie pie that's, you know, hop, skip, and a jump Booming. to the train station. <laughs> Right. Moving quickly. So knowing the micro markets and using a tool called collections that Compass has, we're able to share with the homeowner and we're looking at it together. And we look at the differences between the homes that have sold, the homes that haven't sold. We look at their home objectively. It's my job to help them see it objectively because they've spent their lives in these homes. They're attached to it. Do you think most people selling their once perfect dream home are still so emotionally attached to it and that's why they price it? higher than they should sometimes? So it's interesting. Of late, because again, the consumers are getting smarter and smarter because of the access to information. I've been finding that my sellers are more realistic. They are. And they. I've had two people that said, I'm pricing me, Susan, pricing it too high. Now I'm all about, because again, I'm kind of driven, again, not to make money, sure. but I like to be right. <laughs> it's a charity. I like, I like, I like to be number one. So I like my homes to be priced very close to where they sell mm-hmm. because we don't want to waste anybody's time. Right. Time is, is the most valuable commodity that anybody has. And sure. I have a deep respect for that. And so if my clients tell me, because I ask, what is your goal here? Do you want to move fast? Are you just testing the market? Do you want to see how much you can get? Or do you want to, you know, sell it fast Actually at the highest sell. possible price? Right. And so based on really what they're bigger picture is. I'm asking questions about what their whole story is. We figure out the most strategic way to price the home. And, you know, I, I renovate homes. That's a big part of my business and one feeds into the other. And, you know, I have my husband who's one of my most challenging clients. He's number one employee. <laughs> he's most that too now. Client. Yeah, that too now. Um, Where is my he? Most he's so We should call him. He's sitting That's in the pretty. car? We should, <laughs> we should call him. We could do that, actually. Yeah. So I want to always price my my properties that I own to move quickly because that's my sure. business model. Sure. To buy them, fix them. And renovate out. Right. With care and thoughtfulness and a level of quality that isn't typically seen or the consumer doesn't necessarily expect in a flip You stand by your work. I stand by my work. And I'm still in touch with people that have bought my homes from years ago. 
mostly as a resource as opposed to, hey, sure, you know, sure. toilet's not working. All right, here's the plumber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So I'm, I like to think that I'm very aggressive in my pricing. And by aggressive, I mean, I'm getting as low as I can go without feeling like I'm leaving a single penny on the table to move my product. And people are open to that even in the two, three, Again, four, it depends five. on what their goal is, right? right? Uh, most people want to sell their house for the absolute maximum amount that they're capable of selling it for. That's my job to get them the absolute highest price and sell it as quickly as possible. That's 99% of my clients goal. Move it fast, move it high. You said people like to test the market. Do there you are recommend some people that out there. No, no, because no, it can stigmatize your property and now everybody can follow the history. So I don't recommend it. If you're serious about selling your home, then be serious about selling your home. If you're just curious, then I'll come in and I'll do a market analysis for you. I'll come in and do one of those like love it or list it. Sure. I'll tell you what your home is worth as is. I'll tell you what your home is with doing some improvements. We have another program called Compass Concierge where Compass will pay the upfront costs to do improvements on your home to ready it for sale. And we're finding, we're going to be putting together a book of the statistics, but anecdotally, homes are selling at a higher price than they would have been even listed for when the concierge program is put into place. Oh, I agree. So, I agree. and like you said, so, you know, the buyer can't walk through yeah. and envision this gutted foreclosure right. property, but paint, now paint let's bathroom. paint it. It's like, all right, right. get over it. You can, you can paint it. <laughs> right. And, and even that people can't always visualize. So from deep cleanings to full house paintings to renovations, I'm partnering with a company right now that is a home automation, security, and sustainability company. And uh, Compass is fronting very high costs to put these systems in place because I believe that I will be able to sell the property at a higher price with all of these sexy features. That's pretty in the cool. Home. Do you think that's the future, like implementing technology into the home first and selling it? I, I don't know about the first part, but I think it will become an expectation. Hmm. So my goal is to have every home that I personally represent, not just own, but that I personally represent, have a certain level of home automation and security hmm. and safety features in the house. And that just becomes like a Susan Vanek property sure, standard. Sure, sure, sure. Right. So anybody that looks at my site, they're like, oh, well, we know that all of these Susan homes- safe. It's Susan yeah. safe. Yeah. Deposit that. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Let it flow. What would you yeah. say are the two biggest challenges of raising kids at the age that they're at Holy right now? Holy cow. Okay. So we're going deep here. Yeah. Well, I've, I've got the answer. You to better that. finish with deposit that. So what do you got? So when I was a high school teacher, I said to myself, I cannot wait until my children, which I didn't have yet. Or out of the house. No, our high school age. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm going to be the coolest mom. I'm going to be able to relate to them. I'm going to ask them, you know, the, the, you know, the hard questions and we're going to sit down and have those tough conversations and they're going to come to me for advice and had all these visions of what an awesome mother of teenagers I would be. <laughs> and what's reality? Holy cow. I don't even think they like me. I don't even <laughs> think they want me in the room with them. Really? Um, no, it's just, uh, they're such amazing human beings. And I am always seeing their fullest potential. And I think they just want to be left alone a little bit more. <laughs> like, all right, mom, I get it. Back off. Now, are they closer with your husband? No, I, I'd say we're, we're each close in our own ways. Mm. Like, I couldn't live without them. I can't. Like, I could definitely go a couple of days without them. <laughs> a little break. Like, they go. They go camping with my husband every year, and I'm like, 
this is awesome. The house <laughs> Can is you do clean. it again? <laughs> there aren't 75 random socks laying all over the house. Like there's like, you can, it's their own personal GPS is their tracking of their clothing. Leaving clues. Just, yeah. yeah, they leave me clues, but. It's just hard because I really thought that's the hardest part is that I had this conception of myself or is that the right word? Conception, perception of who I was going to be as a mother and all of my fears and all of my insecurities are, I think, on the surface. And that cool mom. <laughs> Has it come out yet? I haven't found her yet. It's all right. Is that, is I don't that... think my kids have found her yet either. I keep telling them that. But do you she's feel like there. you set yourself up for that by having unknown expectations? I mean, it sounds like you kind of put pressure on yourself when you didn't have to, or set like a bar so high, which I respect because that comes from a competition with inside yourself to be great, be number one, like you said earlier. Yeah, I was just going to be the coolest the number mom, one mom on the planet. Yeah. Right. And I have utterly failed. So when you say you failed, what, give me some examples of how you can back that well, up. Okay. So I can blame this on real estate, even though real estate saved <laughs> my marriage because I started working full time. It took so much of my time, effort, and energy. And I literally do live, breathe, sleep, you have dream. To, you I'm dreaming about clients. Mm-hmm. I am walking through houses. I'm solving Clients problems. or their homes? Both, Uh-oh. depending on whether I've not had any really good ones like that yet, but <laughs> it's okay. He's yeah. like, as long as I don't have to deal That's with it. it. <laughs> um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm so all consumed with it. And they, both of my boys, because this, I did right. We are very honest with each other. And they have said to me that they feel that I think work is more important than them. That hit home? I had to have. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that hit home. Um, I still feel it just repeating those words because you can't take time back. At all. You can't take time back. So that's part of why I've grown a team. It's part of why um, I'm learning how to, and I am working with younger, newer agents that don't have the same experience that I have, even though I've been advised to take on people that are going to produce me money, bring me more income. And yeah, I'm not- That always again, be like the magic question, I think, in real estate and, and mortgages. Obviously, I relate to it on both sides, more so on the mortgage side. But I feel like it's very hard for someone like yourself and we're very similar in the sense that when you bring people on board, you hold them almost to the same expectations that you hold yourself to. So if you're like, hey, I emailed you 43 minutes ago and I see your post on Instagram, but you're not replying to my email, like where are your priorities? At least post on Instagram and reply to the email simultaneously. And I know that when I tried bringing in those people that I know that could be very successful, six plus figure year income in the business, they're not doing that. It kind of discourages you. And then at the end of the day, you're like, you know what, I'll, I'll just do it myself. And you just do it yourself anyway. So yeah, you're creating double the work. Exactly. And so I'm still at the beginning stages. I'm trying to figure out the right way to balance the roles and responsibilities within my group. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things that are down to a system now. And I think systems help and having things in time. place. And But as a creative person, like I can respect systems, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I'm really good at always implementing yeah, them. Me either. Because I'm not it's organized not, not in that way. My, my brain's going a hundred different directions. What I really need is just somebody to like literally Structure. stand by my side the entire time, take everything that I've said, document it, <laughs> organize it, out. it yeah, filter yeah, yeah, it yeah, out, yeah, put yeah. it into like sections and subsections. And then we could revisit it together. And But I'm hearing what you're saying. Yes. I'm with you. I mean, I, I can tell you for a fact that my whole 20s was what you just said. And all I did was focus on work. But I also went out there with a hope and an idea to make a name for myself. And then once I made the name for myself, I had to maintain the name for myself right. in my 20s, early 20s. Yeah, so that's young for all I'm of that. I'm 20, 21, 22 years old doing you know, tens of millions of dollars a year in the mortgage business. When I, you know, I'm like, well, I should be like out like partying in the city. Right. And I 
did that occasionally, but I always got drawn back to work because I'm like, I earned it. Now I have to keep it, right? Yeah, and you want to maintain. Um, you have to. Right, you have to. You feel maintain, you let people and down. You have to grow, and that is not okay. Like I don't want to let anybody down. Right. Literally ever. Right. So on, on, on both sides, the family side, the relationship side, and also the business side. Yeah. So finding that balance is uh, is challenging. It's funny because I, I mentioned to you that I used to do these women empowerment groups, and one of the sessions that was a main focus was finding that balance. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is kind of like going back to, you know, how I failed as a mom. <laughs> I was TBD. Like, I can't. <laughs> TBD. Well, right. We'll, we'll see. find we'll, out. Right. Yeah. We'll come back in 10 years <laughs> yeah. see how they're really doing. Because it's just, it's one thing to be able to see, and this is, again, why I like hanging out with and surrounding myself with people from all different backgrounds, all different ages, all different, sure. you know, strengths and talents and abilities, because there's so much to learn. And when you see things from an outside perspective looking in like I tell my husband all the time what he's doing wrong parenting because it's so easy to see (laughs) it's just so obvious how he's just like does he give it back to you or he just takes it he takes it well he's like well what about you I'm like this conversation isn't about me (laughs) I'm not talking about me I would love to be a fly on your wall (laughs) when you're talking to him I don't know the flies would just drop it (laughs) scary No, he's an incredibly tolerant human being. A lot of patience. Yes, a lot of patience and tolerance. He taught me how to ski, which wasn't an easy feat. And then I watched him teach my kids how to ski. And Mm. his level of patience and lacking frustration. So I get frustrated when somebody's not. Because I do have this expectation that why aren't they just doing it like I would do 100 miles an hour. Right, 100 miles an hour, juggling 10 different balls, going in three different directions. And like... Why aren't they doing it like that? Part of this fast I did, it says that it's supposed to really slow down your brain activity. Mm. So people like us, we move that way because our brains are hyperactive and we can't calm the brain down. We can't slow the brain down. So the part of the reason why I did this was to do that. And I, I came in earlier It's today. like a force shut off. When I tell yeah. you for a fact, like I'm super aware, I'm super, I'm very self-aware, but I'm very, very aware of my surroundings. And even getting off the train this morning, coming here, Everything was moving in slow motion and I was moving faster, but mentally it was like crystal clear. It was, it was crazy That's because nice. usually you're like, oh, I'm on the left. I'm on the right. Oh, there's a car coming. Oh, wait, there was a bus coming from this way. Oh, wait, there's a homeless guy who might try to rob me behind me. And I literally walked here in a regular pace while everything else slowed down. That's wild. First time in my life that's ever happened, but they said it's directly related to your brain activity. And that's why you have to keep the wheel spinning, if you will. Yeah, I went to Bermuda a couple of weeks ago. And it was the second time in 17 years that my husband and I were away without the kids. Oh, nice. On a vacation. Did you want to kill him by the end of the trip? No, it was no. It, no, it was like it, he was. I was able to tolerate him, and he was able to tolerate me. <laughs> Tons of alcohol. <laughs> uh, in fact, not as much as <laughs> oh I my gosh. necessary. <laughs> but there was something about I, I made a promise to myself that I was not going to be in my phone. And I told all of my clients in advance that I was going away and I would check my phone twice a day. And I'd never done that before yeah. because I never felt maybe I never felt that I deserved it. Maybe I never felt that it was the right thing to do, but I just did it and I knew it needed to happen and I did it. And so I kind of had a similar experience yeah. where I felt still for the first time. It's a great feeling. And there was no, there were no distractions because it was a beach and it was the most beautiful sand I've ever had my feet in in my entire life. And I want to go back. In fact, I want to go back every couple of months to just shut off. I'll try the fast cheaper than going to Bermuda. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm guessing. You and your husband can do it together. I don't drink coffee. Can you do it without coffee? 
I, I mean, I'm sure you can, but you can't have tea. There's specific instructions, only black coffee. I think it's like some type of purity in it. I okay. Don't know, but I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. Serious. I've uh-huh. never smoked a cigarette ever <gasps> once in my life. I'm like the only person I know has never smoked a cigarette. I think you're the only person. Yeah. Not even drunk, nothing. Like even in high school, college, I'm like, I hate the smell so much. People ask me to hold it. I would have to throw it down. That's how I feel about coffee. Wow. Yeah. Are you ever going to try it? I don't see a reason to because I think like why get addicted to something? <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you don't need to. <laughs> you don't need to. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I want. I don't want to introduce something that I don't think is a good. You say you might get hooked on it. Yeah, I think I'm probably. A, <laughs> I'm a 100 percenter, right? Yeah, I don't yeah, do anything, right? So if I'm doing it, I'm doing it. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Hmm. So interesting. So as we close up the show, we leave everyone to take one thing. You've had two deposits that so far. What's your main thing you want people to leave with that they can implement into either their personal and business life or both that they could deposit to their memory bank? Holy cow. You should have told me that I was going to have to come up with something brilliant. Here's the floor. Here you go. (laughs) You know, oh, geez. Okay. I'll give you an example. I want to list my house for $4 million, but I owe $5 million on it. I told you that at the end of your listing presentation. So you got to work on the fly. Right. Okay. Find a trusted advisor and don't try to be the professional in something that you're not. So like, my sister self-diagnoses all the time because she goes onto WebMD. Uh-oh. Right? Like, leave it yeah. to the professionals. Kill your Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> Get rid of Wi-Fi. No, I mean, I think it's surround yourself with the right team. Surround yourself with the right team of people. So if you have a goal in real estate, surround yourself with the right team. Get your trusted financial advisor. Get your trusted real estate advisor. Get your trusted attorney in place. And know that it is a team effort and introduce them all to one another. There's no transaction. People like keeping people's secrets for some reason. No, it's not. Full collaboration. So think of your real estate transaction as a group effort. Well, that's awesome. And just let everyone know what type of real estate and where do you specialize in? They want to contact you. I'm a real estate strategist in Fairfield County, Connecticut. And I'm easy to find on social media. It's my name, Susan Vanek. You deal with buyers and sellers. Buyers and sellers and investors. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Oh my gosh, this was your so husband much fun. Are you sweating still or no? You're yeah, done. I think I'm okay. Right. I mean, I might be just because, you we'll know. We'll get you back for round two. I have my own internal climate control issues. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 